pastor asked me to mention a little bit about the table up here at the front. My wife has some art. Uh, she is an artist and does some uh, Bible verses to watercolor paints and uh, calligraphy. It's very beautiful, and the ladies like that sort of thing. And I said, they're so nice. I'm going to put it on the table. And she said, okay. And what comes in from the paintings she's using for our mission trips in the future? Uh, last year, I think she gave us $1,000 toward mission trips, and I think this year it's heading to be a little more than that. So they're very nice, and if you'd like to look at that, they're up there. There are some preaching CDs and a few other DVDs that may help you spiritually, but uh, the Murrays have five music CDs, and there's a brand new one that came out that I personally think is the best one. It's got my picture on the front, but anyway, it's a very good CD. And then um, the very first music CD that the Murrays ever produced, the lady said to me that was the best music CD she'd ever heard in her life. And I thought that was a pretty good compliment, don't you? It was his mother, but she did say that, okay? <laughs> now, the music is done very well. It's orchestrated. It would be a real blessing. And I actually did have uh, evangelist Ron Comfort, my father-in-law, but he said that uh, the new CD he felt was the best revival CD he'd ever heard. And so he plays it a lot, and Greg did a great job with that. And the thing I like about this new CD is that I, I see Greg's passion, and this one more than anything I've ever seen him produce in 18 years of traveling together, it was burning in his soul, and it's a great revival CD. So that's available to you there. But here at the front, and if you can't afford them, then send one of your kids to shoplift one. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's take our Bibles and let's stand together out of respect for God's Word. And at this time, we're going to dismiss all the children uh, that are going to go to the kids' meeting. That would be third grade on down to four years old. And they can go out this back door here for the children's Bible hour. Third grade, second grade, first grade, all the way down to four years old. All right, the rest of us, let's turn in the Bible to Isaiah chapter 30, please. Isaiah chapter 30. Um, by the way, here's a picture of the new CD. I just realized it was up here. It's called God Can. It's right here, right available there on the table. Thank you for coming out, Christian School Night. What a great crowd. And uh, I thought that the choir did a wonderful job, didn't you? The uh, student choir. And appreciate these young men, young ladies getting up here singing, and um, very good. And I do appreciate um, the uh, lady, uh, the, the dear teacher who's working with these young people. And uh, praise God for her. And uh, just so many different things that are offered here at OCA. It's a great, great school. Amen. Well, we're going to continue having good chapels with the young people. Looking forward to God blessing. Now tonight, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 30, and we're going to read one verse as our text this evening. It's Isaiah 30 and verse 33. Isaiah 30 and verse 33. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. 
The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Thank you. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for you to bless the preaching of your word. Help me, Lord, as I preach it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love a campfire. In fact, some of my fondest memories of growing up would be getting around a campfire with some of the young people in my youth group. And so we would sing songs, play guitar, sing songs, eat marshmallows, hot dogs, things like that. And so when I was first in the ministry, I didn't have a full schedule like I do now, and so I was home a lot. And so I asked my pastor if I could work with a youth group since nobody else was doing it, and he said, that'd be fine. So my very first youth activity, I wanted everybody to think I knew what I was doing when I didn't. And so I always enjoyed having a campfire, so I thought, well, we'll have a campfire. That way we get to know each other and sing some songs around the campfire and hot dogs and marshmallows and things like that. So I figured that would be good. So that day, I went out and I made this huge pile of wood, and I got everything ready for the activity. And that night, I told all the teens to stay inside, wait until I go light the campfire, And once I get it lit, I'll call everybody out. So I went out and I lit that puppy up. And once it got full blaze, I called everybody out to the campfire. Now there was one problem. I had made that fire so big and so hot that nobody could get within 100 feet of it. And on top of that, it was already 90 degrees outside. And so nobody wanted to be by a campfire, and it was a big flop. Now, there are other times when I've tried to make a fire, and I can't seem to get it very big, so I'll get down close to it, and I'll blow on it, and as I'm blowing on it, I'm trying to make it bigger, and most of you know what I'm talking about. Now, in this passage that we just read, Tophet, I believe, is referring to hell. And you notice that as God refers to hell, he seems to be making it very big, and he seems to be making it big on purpose, on purpose doing it. All right, let's read the verse. I'll read it again. Verse 33, For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood. You get the idea that God's adding a lot of wood to it every day. And you don't do that unless you're trying to make it bigger. And then it says, The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now, not only does it say that God is adding wood to it, but it says that he's blowing on it, the breath of the Lord. And that means he's trying to make it bigger and trying to make it full blaze. Now, it seems like since the day of the old-time evangelists, not too many people preach on the subject of hell. And as Pastor mentioned tonight, the Bible is not changing and the things of God have not changed. The dangers of hell are just as serious as ever were. And the grace of God and the mercy of God and the hope and salvation of Christ is just as real and just as needed as it ever was. But sometimes people don't like to talk about this subject, and believe it or not, it's not a fun subject for a preacher. But we have people that are on their way to a great, terrible place called hell, and we need to understand the seriousness of this and that there is an answer, as we've talked about, Jesus Christ And so we've got to be aware of the reality. And so I'm going to speak on the subject of hell tonight. And as we look at it, understand that nobody has to go there and understand that God doesn't want anybody to go there and that there still is a way to be delivered. 
But as we look at this subject, I hope that it will challenge us to make sure that we're going to be delivered and then that we're concerned about others being delivered. So I'm going to preach on this subject tonight, subject of hell, and I've entitled the message tonight, How Hot is Hell? How Hot is Hell? Now, as we look at this, it's not alliterated. I've got some thoughts for this that we'll work through. Now, the first thought about hell that I want to give us tonight is that how hot is hell? It's real hot. Now, somebody says, can't you do better than just say it's real hot? I'm using kind of a play on words when I say it's real hot. What I mean by this is I mean that it's real hot, not fake hot. It's real hot, not fake hot. Now, there's some people that don't like to believe that there's a real place called hell. And so they don't talk about it or they just wish it away. Maybe you've actually had a parent tell you that there's no place called hell. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. There's no place called hell. And then maybe you actually had a pastor or a priest or some religious figure tell you that there's no place called hell. All right, look at me, okay? There is a place called hell according to the Bible. That's what I'm saying. The Bible says in Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all that forget God. Proverbs 15, 24, the way of life is above the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. So it's a real place according to the word of God. That's what I'm saying according to the word of God. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. God doesn't want anybody to go there. We don't want anyone to go there. There's salvation from it, but it is a real place if the Bible is true, and it is. Now, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Withhold not correction from a child. If thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. It's there. Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but not able to kill the soul, but rather fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And Matthew 13, 44, listen to these verses. So shall it be at the end of the world. He shall send forth his angels and shall sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them, the wicked, into a furnace of fire and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what does the Bible say that hell is like so we just are familiarized with it again? It's a place, okay? Luke 16, 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. It is there. It is a place. Now, the Bible teaches, again, God doesn't want anybody there. I've said it, but I just want you to know, God doesn't want anybody there, but it is there. It is a place, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now, it is a place with fire. Luke 16, 24, I am tormented in this flame. It is a place with brimstone. Revelation 19, 20, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. What is brimstone? I don't think anybody knows, but here's what my opinion is. Where does lava come from? Center of the earth. And if you look down a volcano, a guide may tell you what you're looking at. When you see lava, you're seeing a lava lake, you're seeing lava fire, but it'll say you're seeing lava stone. And when it erupts and when it cools down, 
it turns into hard stone. But in the heat, it's a liquid stone. And if hell is in the center of the earth, where I believe it is, and if lava is in the center of the earth, then I contend to us tonight that brimstone may very well be hot seating lava. Now, can you imagine if you were to die tomorrow, next week, next year, you say, okay, is this really true? Bible says it is. If you were to die within a month and you're not on your way to heaven, you would go to a place of brimstone. So you would have fire, it's there, there would be brimstone, and you would burn and burn and never die. The Bible says it is everlasting fire. Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire. And it is the place where you never die, Mark 9, 44, where the worm dieth not. Now, I don't like to believe in hell. I don't like to believe in some things. I don't like to believe in emphysema, but my uncle Harold smoked too many cigarettes and he got emphysema. And I know if others smoke it, they're in danger of getting it too. I don't like to believe in cancer, but my um, Aunt Joyce died of cancer and it's an ugly thing, but I cannot wish it away. And I don't like to believe that there really are people in this room that are on their way to hell. I don't like to believe that, but I can't wish it away. God is stoking up the fire. He's adding much wood, and the flames are full blaze, according to the Bible, which doesn't change. And the salvation does not change. It's available, and you have to take it, or you end up going to a real place, not a fake place, called hell. Now, the second thing tonight as to why this is such an important issue that you have to deal with how hot is hell? I will say this. It's too hot for you. It's too hot for you. Now, once in a while, I'll meet somebody who says, well, if I go to hell, I'll just handle it then. No, you won't. That's like saying, if I get burnt alive in a house that's on fire, well, I'll be fine. I'll just handle it then. The difference is, if you burn up in a fire, you're done. But if you burn up in hell, you're never done. And... You don't ever handle it. Now, when somebody says, I can handle it. All right, here's what Jesus said. Now, I believe that any one of us in this room, no matter what our background is, no matter what um, our thinking is, if Jesus Christ was standing here, if he was here, we would want to hear him. We would probably travel long distances. We would probably change our schedule if we knew that this was the real Jesus who was here and he was preaching. And you know what we would expect to hear from him? The most beautiful, loving, kind, warm words ever, ever spoken by mankind. And that is what I would expect because God is love. But do you know what you would find if Jesus were standing here tonight? You would hear him say, Matthew 5, 29 and 30, it's ready against the words of Christ. He says... If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Verse 30, if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. Your hand, you lose it. And not that your whole body should be cast into hell. Now, is Jesus being mean? No, he's never mean. Is Jesus being loving? Absolutely. 
And with all the love in his heart, he's saying, this place is too hot for you, that whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. Now, does he want a person to cut his hand off? No. But there are sins that people are doing with their hands that could put them to hell. And some of you, I'm not being unkind, but you're doing those things. Now, with your hands, you sin. Those hands, then, are instruments of your own fate. Those hands that you're sinning with, in whatever way you're sinning with them, are what the devil is using as a tool to get your soul into this place that Jesus is trying to get you out of. Now, there are sins that people are doing with their feet. They're walking into places that they shouldn't. There are people in this room tonight probably have gone to places you shouldn't have gone not too long ago. And Jesus is saying, if your foot offends you, if it takes you into a place where you shouldn't go, so you wind up in hell because of it, you would be better to chop your foot off and lose your foot so you couldn't go to a place that will ruin your future and put you in hell. Now, this is strong preaching. If thy right eye offend thee, Jesus said, pluck it out. There are things people are looking at with their eyes, pornography, strip joints, other Women that are not their spouses. And the Bible teaches, thou shalt not commit adultery, and adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a sin with a little instrument called an eyeball that's going to put people in hell, and maybe some of you. If the Bible is true, and it is. There's a real hell, and you're in real danger, and it's awfully hard sometimes to get you to feel that. But Jesus is saying it. So will you believe him? Now, once in a while I meet somebody who says, I want to go to hell. I'm going to party with my buddies. And usually when they'll say that, I'll say, oh, you don't want to go to hell. You're just talking. And they say, though, I'm going to party with my buddies. I met a truck driver one time. He told me he wanted to go to hell. He was going to party with his buddies. I said, you don't want to go to hell? He said, yeah, I do. I said, let me prove to you you don't want to go to hell. I said, I noticed your cigarette lighter is in your pocket. Can I borrow it? He gave it to me. I said, now you're bigger than me, so don't punch me in the nose or don't punch me in the face. I just want to show you you don't want to go to hell. And I lit the cigarette lighter up, and I stuck that little flame about six inches in front of his face. And I said, if you really want to go to hell, prove it. Let's get started. I said, stick your, stick your finger in there. So he goes... Ha, 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 preacher, you can't scare me with that. You can't scare me with that. And then I did scare him because I stuck a little bit closer to his face. And I said, I'm not kidding. You want to go to hell? Prove it. Let's get started. Stick your finger in there. And I said it a little bit more intensely. And at that time, I could tell that he thought I was a crazy person going around quoting Bible verses and shooting people. And so he goes, oh, you're crazy, aren't you? You're crazy. And I got his attention. But then I slowly put it down, and I said, no, I'm not crazy. But I'm also not kidding. If you cannot handle a little finger in a cigarette lighter, you will not be able to handle a whole body burning in hell. I said, this cigarette lighter will burn out, but hell won't. Now, what is your attitude? What is your feeling about you going to hell? Are you somebody who thinks that you'll be able to handle it? You won't. You won't. I can remember being at one of the camps when I was a teenager. 
I got off the camp. There was a young man from our Christian school who didn't want anything to do with God. And when he got off of that bus, he had on this Led Zeppelin heavy metal t-shirt. So I said to him, Joe, you're really cool coming to Bible camp with a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. And he said to me, well, blah, blah, blah. And I said, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of went like this with each other a little bit. But I cannot forget what I found out those five guys did. Joe and some of his friends made a pact that nobody was going to get saved. If anybody got saved, they caved in and got saved. What a foolish thing for anybody to try to keep another from coming to Christ. What a foolish thing for anybody to act like it's a joke. So what happened is, he said, if anybody gets saved, you've got to buy all us other guys a steak dinner. And so they all got together on that, and they all agreed. Ha, ha, yeah, steak dinner. So during the week, God was working. The word of God went forth, and people's eyes were being opened, and people understood, hey, listen, this is real. I don't want to go to hell. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. And four out of five asked Jesus to save him. Now, on Thursday night, though, still excited about what's happening. We're standing around the campfire, and everybody's talking about what God is doing. And then somebody looked at Joe, this one with a T-shirt, said, Nobody gets saved, made that deal. And they actually said to Joe, hey, everybody else has gotten saved. Have you been thinking about it? Are you ready to get saved? And Joe literally said, not me, man. I got four steak dinners coming to me. And then everybody said, come on, that's stupid. It's not worth it. Four steak dinners. You don't want to go to hell. Come on, quit joking around. And Joe gets, no, man, I got four steak dinners. I am not getting saved. So flippant about hell. And so Brian Malik, one of my friends, literally walked up behind him, and he said to him, Joe, are you sure you don't want to get saved? Joe again said, nope, not interested. And Joe said no. So Brian said, okay. And Brian Malik literally walked behind Joe, and he shoved him with two hands right into the campfire. We were all standing around a campfire. So he shoved him with two hands right into the campfire. Joe hops out. And he says, what are you doing? And Brian said, I just want you to see what it would be like if you're born in hell. He did that. And you know what Joe did? He didn't get burned. It was a little fire, but it sure shook him a little bit. So Joe literally, he walked around the corner of a cabin. He got down on his knees and he quit being a mocker and he accepted Jesus Christ. Because he realized that he was just talking. Nobody wants to go to hell. Now, if there is a hell, all right? That's if the Bible is true, then there is a hell. And there is a hell. It is real, not fake. And so everything all through the scriptures say it. The Bible doesn't change. God hasn't changed. And there is a hell. And God doesn't want anybody there. That's already been stated. It's not changed that there is a Savior from it. And it's not changed that everybody needs one, needs Jesus. He is the one. I... It's real hot, not fake hot. Number two, it's too hot for you. Jesus says, whatever it is, if it's your eye, pluck it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. If it's your foot, throw it away. But I will say, if it's your friends, wouldn't understand if you got saved. Or your friends might mock you. And you students in the student body, if your friends might mock you, love your friends, but don't go to hell over them. If it's your family wouldn't even understand, even if you have parents here tonight that they're not sure they believe all this stuff. Love your family, respect your mom and dad like the Bible tells you to, but don't you go to hell 
over even your mother or father rejecting Jesus. And don't you go to hell over a spouse or a friend or anybody because hell is too hot for you. All you've got to do is go home after this chap service and go to your kitchen and get the smallest little birthday candle you could find. Take that little tiny birthday candle and take one finger and stick it in that birthday candle for five minutes. You would not be able to do that. And if you cannot handle one little finger in a birthday candle for five minutes, you would not be able to handle going to hell. So Jesus, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee. For hell is too hot for you. Now, number three, take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. And as you turn to Mark chapter 8, uh, Matthew chapter 8, excuse me, I'm going to read a passage that might seem a little bit odd, but will you hear me out as I talk about it? Number one, it's real hot, not fake hot. Number two, it's too hot for you. Number three, it's hot enough to scare a demon. It's hot enough to scare a demon. Now, in this passage, we're going to read about a demon that Jesus casts out of an individual, actually thousands, legions. And demons, in this story, decide they don't want to go to hell. They say, we'll do anything. We'll live in pigs if we have to. Just don't send us to hell. And Jesus let them go in the pigs, and they went down into the water. All right, now look at verse 28, Matthew 8. And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tomb, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What are we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Before what time? The time when they will be cast into the lake of fire. How many believe there are such things as demons? How many are aware that right now, some are roaming the earth, some are in change of darkness, but they're all ultimately going to be cast into the lake of fire? This is what the Bible teaches. So they said, are you here to torment us before the time that we have to go to hell? And then, verse 30, There was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding, so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer or allow us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And they went, when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Now, sometimes when I think of a demon, I think of something that has gnarly hair, a skeleton face. I think of eyes of fire, wicked teeth, and I think of a powerful being. And I don't think of a demon ever getting afraid. But I do think of a demon maybe making me afraid or somebody else afraid. But in this passage, these demons are afraid. Now, it must take a lot to scare a demon. And what scares them is the very thing that some of you, please hear me, that some of you are facing. What scared them is exactly what some of you are facing. Going to a place called hell. Unless you get a Savior. They are afraid of going to the very same place that some of you are facing. Now, when we read these stories, we think, oh, that was 
in the Bible, yeah, that happened probably, but it's so far back that we don't relate it to us, and we don't think of the significance, but demons really are afraid of going to hell. Um, I didn't talk about this for a long time, but then I began to talk about it because I felt it might help some people. I met a girl that I'm convinced was demon-possessed. It was in one school in North Carolina. She came to me, and she said, Brother Pelletier, I keep hearing voices, and I talk to people about it. They think I'm making it up. Well, I think everybody ought to be given a chance to get some help. So I asked her, have you ever played with a Ouija board? Because a Ouija board is a toy that you can get at Walmart that is actually the first step into the occult. So she said, yes, we've been playing with Ouija boards. I said, who? Some of my friends and I in school. What school do you go to? She said, Grace Christian Academy. So even in the Christian school, they were playing with a Ouija board and not understanding what was going on and the seriousness of it. So this girl said, yeah, we've been playing with one. I said, has anything strange ever happened when you played with a Ouija board? She said, oh, yeah. One time, we were asking it a question, and it took over, and it asked us a question. And it said to us, how would you like to have a special friend? So we spelled back, yes, we'd like to have one. And then it spelled back to us, go and open a window and stand by the window and wait. So they opened the window. They stood by it, and the girl, Joyce, said this exactly what happened. As they stood by the window just a few moments, all of a sudden, on a very calm day, a wind picked up and blew very strong in through that window, and it blew their hair straight back for several seconds. Then the wind stopped, and their hair went limp. And in shock, she looked at her friend, and her friend said something, but it was in a different voice. So I thought, well, maybe there's something going on here. Now, I did not know how to deal with a demon in a situation like this, and to be honest, I still don't know all about it. But I did the best that I could. And you know what? I always heard that demons don't like to hear about the blood of Christ, and so I said to them, what do you think about the blood of Christ? And this senior in high school, a very thin girl, please believe me, came up and she shoved me with two hands so hard that she lifted me up off my feet and sent me sailing back in the air, and I landed flat on my back. Now, I have never had a girl in high school big enough to push me through the air five to ten feet. Well, she started walking toward me like she wanted to kill me, and I thought I was in big trouble. But then I remember the verse, she overcomes Satan by the blood of the Lamb, and lying there on my back, I looked up at her and I said, you can't do one thing to me, I plead the blood of Christ over you. And she sat down in a chair like a whipped puppy, that happened. I wondered if I was really experiencing this. And so I went ahead and quoted another verse on the blood of Christ. And while she was sitting in that chair, it was actually in an auditorium at church. She was sitting in a chair right there. She just shook in that chair. And I realized that she was affected by my talking about the blood of Christ. So then I assumed that she had a demon. So then I prayed, and I said, God, I've never done this, don't know what to do. I know they're bigger than me, and they're more powerful than me, but you tell me what to do. And it seemed like the Lord said, talk to them. Ask them their name. And so I prayed, made sure everything was right, made sure I didn't have any ounce of pride. I didn't have any of that in me, and I knew that I had sin in my life. I've gotten right with God, and I made sure that everything was right with God, and I didn't want to give them a foothold. And so I then go up very timidly, 
and I say to the demons, I said, I don't know who you are. I know you're more powerful than me, but you're not more powerful than Jesus Christ. I know that I am not perfect, but you know that I have no sin that I know of, and I don't come to you in my righteousness. I come in the righteousness of Christ. And I said, now, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, what is your name? And when I did that, the eyes rolled up, and I saw nothing but the white of her eyes. And then the eyes came back down, and there was another voice. I got a name, and then a second, and then a third, and I realized that she had more than one demon in her. And I can never remember the names. They were very strange. So then as I'm talking to the demon, a voice arose to the very top that was a sweet grandmother sound. And I start talking to this grandmother from another place. It seems like a grandmother, sweet grandmother. And I almost found myself liking talking to this being from another dimension. And as I'm talking to her, It's like I remember, this is not a sweet grandmother, this is a demon. And I almost find myself liking this demon, and then I remember that the devil will disguise himself as an angel of light. And so almost apologetically, I said to this grandmother-type demon, you're going to have to come out now. You're just going to have to come out now, because I feel sympathetic to this thing that's so nice and sweet. And as soon as I said, you're going to have to come out, it changed from that sweet grandmother voice to what you might expect from a demon. It went to the sound, and it freaked me out. And it raised the hair on the back of my neck. And then I said, you're going to have to come out now. And I got a little bit more forceful with it, and then the eyes rolled up and the eyes came down, and this happened. Joyce began to talk, and she said, Stop it! Stop it! You're hurting my friends! Stop it! They're burning! I said, What, Joyce? She said, Stop it! You're hurting my friends! They're burning! They're burning! You know what that did to me? When I heard her say that the demons were burning, I already believed in hell. But that was definite affirmation of its existence. And so then, as I begin to say to her, Joyce, you don't want the demons, you want Jesus. She said, yes, I want Jesus. I said, okay, let me talk to the demons, and you need Jesus. And so the eyes rolled up, the eyes came down, there were the demons, and I said, you're going to have to come out now. And they said, we're not leaving. I said, what right do you have to stay? Joyce told us we could stay. And I said, she told me she wants Jesus. She told that to you because you wanted to hear it. And let me tell you something. So many of you say what you know we want you to hear. You say what you know we want to hear. We want to hear you say you receive Jesus. You you know we we want to hear you say you love Jesus. But just saying what we want you to hear doesn't mean you love Jesus. Just saying what we want you to hear doesn't mean that you personally accept Jesus and trust in him for you. And so this happens all the time. And so Joyce told me what she thought I wanted to hear. Yeah, I want Jesus. So I said, let me talk to the demons. But she didn't want Jesus. And so the eyes rolled up. They came down. They said, Joyce told us we could stay. I said, well, let me talk to Joyce one more time. And if she wants you to leave, you're going to have to leave. 
and the demons would not let me talk to Joyce. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I spent two more hours trying to get to talk to Joyce, but I couldn't. The demons wouldn't let me. I tried everything. I tried the name of Christ, and I'm not belittling the name of Christ. It's greater than any other name and more powerful than any other name, but it didn't let me talk to Joyce. I tried the blood of Christ, and I'm not belittling the blood of Christ. I couldn't talk to Joyce, and I know that this is all strange, and it was strange to me. But I finally won the battle, and the way that I won the battle was I remember this passage that I'm preaching to you about tonight where the demons said, are you coming here to torment us before the time? And I said to those demons, if you don't let me talk to Joyce this moment, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to ask Jesus to cast you into the lake of fire before the time. And as soon as I said that, the eyes rolled up and the eyes came down and Joyce's voice was back. And what that showed me is that without a doubt, there is a hell. And without a doubt, it is so bad that demons are afraid of going there. And you might be tough, but you're not tougher than a demon. And if a demon cannot handle it, then you cannot handle it either. Take your Bibles, and I want you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How hot is hell? It's real hot, not fake hot. Number two, it's too hot for you. Number three, it's hot enough to scare a demon. And then number four, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34. It says, Awake! 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 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And what does it say to awake to? It says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to you, shame. Wake up, you sleepyheads, is what he's saying. And he's talking to Christians. Now he's saying this, awake, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to you, shame. Now do you know that there are people that will look at churches like this one. I'm not saying this church is perfect. But they'll look at churches like this one that'll preach against alcohol and call them a cult. You can drink a can of beer and go to heaven, but I will tell you it's going to be hard for you to get your neighbor to heaven when you've got a can of beer in your hand. Awake to righteousness, because he does not have the knowledge of God yet. And their blood will be on your hands. There's accountability here. All right, awake, awake to righteousness because of your ability to influence unsaved people. I remember when I was preaching in Pennsylvania, I went to Christian school there to preach. And then we went around the community. We met a street fighter by the name of Dane. And Dane said that he'd been in 73 fights and only lost three because he was fought dirty, dirty against. And my friend asked him if he would like to get saved. And he said, get saved? That's a joke. I've dated too many Christian school girls to want to get saved. Now, those girls were no different than any girl who didn't even claim to be a Christian. And he said, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. I can remember when I worked in the machine shop. We used to make the machines that would make the Oreo cookie. 
And so every time you eat one of those Oreo cookies, I help to make those things. I'm famous. But as I work in that machine shop, one of the men was a foreman, was a deacon in a Baptist church. But every time he got upset with somebody, he would let out a string of swear words. And there were people that I would try to win to the Lord there, and I couldn't, couldn't budge them. Why? Because they knew this other deacon who was cussing. And I wonder if we are people as believers even believe in the place called hell enough that we care that we live a righteous life in front of unsaved people. Now, is there anybody, this might sound a little mean or a little harsh, but is there anybody going to hell right now because they know you? Is there anybody that's closer to hell than closer to heaven because they know you? And I certainly think that we need to awake to righteousness as Christians. Hell's too hot for Christian carnality. Now, how hot is hell? It's real hot, not fake hot. Hot enough to scare a demon. Too hot for you. Too hot for Christian carnality. How many would agree that hell is too hot for our friends? And we don't want them there. And there's so much more that we could say. But how hot is hell? Here's one. If you would understand Luke chapter 16, it is not hot enough to reach heaven. Now, in Luke chapter 16, there was a man who went to hell, and when he was in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus to me, dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. And as he requested for a drop of water to cool his tongue, Abraham was in heaven, Abraham's bosom looked down and said, I can't come and comfort you. There's a gulf between heaven and hell, so those that would go from heaven to hell cannot. Those who would go from hell to heaven cannot. And you know what? The gulf between heaven and hell is big enough that no matter how high the flames get, and no matter how hot the flames get, they will never be high enough or hot enough to reach heaven. And so the only way to escape the flames of hell is to make sure that you are going to be in heaven and not hell. Now, where are you headed right now? God is stoking up the fire. He's adding much wood. And the breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. And he puts in Scripture the, the reality of the place called hell because he is giving you an option of salvation. Now, I preached many sermons over 30 years of evangelism. And you know what? I've seen many people trust Christ. After trusting Christ, shortly after that, not because they trusted Christ, but because this was their fate. They died in an automobile wreck or some other thing. And there's never a question mark over one of them that put their faith in Jesus. In Pennsylvania, New York, this just last year, I preached in an area-wide tent meeting. Only about 60 people there. But there were three young people there that were kind of mocking everything. And I love young people. And so I said, hey, guys, listen up. And they didn't. Hey, guys, come on, look over this way. And they didn't. So finally I said, okay, guys, right over here, I need you to quit talking and look at me. One reason. I hate your guts. And they all got serious. Everybody's like, what? I said, no, I don't hate you. I want you to listen because I care about you, and you may be on your way to hell. And you need to hear this. 
And this young man afterwards accepted Jesus Christ. Two of them out of three did. And I got a letter a month later that he died 14 years old of a heart attack. But I'm glad he's in heaven. Now I close with this. Years ago, I was getting ready to preach in another Christian school in Michigan. And as I was getting ready to go preach there, I was by myself. The phone rang and I went in the office because it was for me. It was my wife and I was expecting her to say, hey, you handsome hunk, can't wait for you to get home so I can see you and give you hugs and kisses and all this, you know. But she was very quiet, and I thought that something was wrong. So I said to my wife, is everything okay? She was still quiet, and I knew something was wrong. So then I said, Becky, just tell me. I know something's wrong. What's going on? And she got out two words. She said, it's Aubrey. Aubrey was our one-and-a-half-year-old at the time. I said, well, what happened? And she said, she's been burned. Now, all these thoughts go through my mind. She's been burned. And the worst of them was, is she alive? So then I said to her, okay, you just got to tell me what's going on. How bad is it? What happened? And she said, well, I was filling up the bathtub with water, and she dove in. Now, What that is referring to is we have a 40-foot fifth-wheel travel trailer, and we have a 10-gallon water heater. And so back then, the water heater being so small, I used to keep it so hot that it could scald you. And it was all my fault. And she was filling in the hot water, and then she was going to add the cold water in. And if you add the hot water in, and you get all the sides of the tub warm, and then you add the hot cold water, then you have a bigger bath for the children. So I should never have had it that hot. So my wife was filling it in. My daughter was a tomboy, saw the water, and she dove in. There was a scream. And so my wife picked her out as quickly as she could. But it was too late. She was already burned. So they rushed her off to the hospital, and we found that the doctor said 10% of her body was burned with second and third degree burns. Now, as she went into that tub, her hands went down to the bottom of the tub, so they didn't get burned as bad. They got burned, but not as badly. The front tops got burned that were down in the water, just taking the heat of that scorching water. And thank the Lord, she was fully clothed, so her feet didn't get so badly burned, and her legs and her socks protected her with her pants and her socks. And then she had a shirt on, but she still got burned, but not the second third degree burns over her body. But... As her hands went in there from here to about here and here to here and her chin and her forehead, with her little body at one and a half years old, the doctor said that's 10% of her body, second, third degree burns. Now, the rest was burned, but not as badly. So I didn't even preach that chapel. I got on a plane. I flew back home. I went straight to the hospital. I walk in, and she is bandaged from here to here, here to here, 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 and she's laying there in that bed. And when I walked in, she's looking at me like, Daddy, can't you take the pain away? And if you never saw your child suffer, you don't know what I felt that day. And so then the doctor walked in, and he said, Mr. Pelletier, I'm glad you're here. I need to speak with you in the hallway. I went in the hallway. And he said, not only do we believe she's had second, third-degree burns, but we believe that she has had congestive heart failure. So now I'm thinking she could die. Now, we found out later it was not heart failure. It's when she breathed in that steam, it was so hot that the steam actually burnt the inside of her lungs. And so what they saw was burn on the inside of her lungs. Now, then they went into the debris process. And for those of you who don't know what that is, 
you have to take off the burnt flesh to make room for the new flesh to grow. So we go into the room, and they understand, understand this is a picture of hell. Understand what we're doing. Burning is a serious issue. Burning is not something to take lightly. So they go into the room, and they begin the deburring process, and they have to take off her bandages, and I'm seeing things I never thought I'd see. I'm seeing raw flesh. It's like somebody just peeled all the skin off of her, and I'm seeing blood. I didn't expect to see blood. I'm seeing mucus. I didn't expect to see mucus. And as they're taking this off, I'm seeing things I never expected from a burn. And then they get up to her fingers, and I'm looking at them, and they look like somebody peeled all the flesh off, just like an animal. And then I get to her fingers, and every finger was three times its normal size, a huge bubble. I thought she'll never use those fingers again. And then as they're taking off these bandages, she's just shaking. And I said, sir, could you be a little more gentle with my daughter? He said, I'll try. And then they take them off more gently. But she just shakes and she's screaming, obviously, in pain. And I said, you're going to have to be more gentle with her. You have to be more gentle, as that was my daughter. And he said, sir, I can't be more gentle. She's going to be in pain. I said, why can't you help her? I can't help her. She's going to be in pain. Why? Give her something. I can't help her. She's going to be in pain. Why? The first layer of her skin's all burned off, so all of her nerves are exposed. And whenever we take those bandages off, the oxygen hits those nerves and it burns all over again. Then they began the actual debris process. And all I'll say is that's when they have to take tweezers, twist the burnt flesh, and take off as much as they can in spite of her pain so that she could heal better. And every time they would touch her fingers or skin with those little tweezers, she would scream all over again. Now, I cannot help when I think of the subject of hell, but to think about my daughter's burns. And the thought that goes through my, mind's, my mind is that that was just water. What could fire do? It is real. But God made a way of salvation, and everybody has to act upon it. It is too hot for you. It's hot enough to scare a demon. So this place is not where you want to go. Now, if you don't know that you're going to heaven, you have to make a choice tonight. If you don't know that you're going to heaven, and let's say that you die a month from now, what will you wish your choice would have been? You would have wanted it to be to be saved. And so the Bible teaches there's a hell and he doesn't want anyone to go there. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads.